Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. It's the Keith Walsh Podcast. It's essential like your breakfast. It will get you up and going, learn some things you didn't know Yeah, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast It's the Keith Walsh Podcast Give you energy like buck fast And if your head's in a pickle or you're looking for a giggle It's the Keith Walsh Podcast, yeah Hello everybody and welcome to the Keith Walsh Podcast My name's Keith Walsh and happy International Men's Day, everybody Yes, it's International Men's Day Um... I know every day is Men's Day because we live in a patriarchal society. But um, yeah, it is. It's also uh, international, I don't know if it's international, or World Day of the Toilet. I'm sure every day is World Day of the Toilet, Keith. I know. That's because we live in a toilet society where people use toilets. Um, Let me just have a little think about where we're at today. With International Men's Day. Um, so, from what I can gather, some men, a group of men, have been putting together uh, a bunch of pictures that I don't, I'm not really sure of the ins and outs of this, but the type of pictures that were sent between a girlfriend and a boy, sorry, not between, but from a girl to a boy. And this picture might have been passed on to a friend or shared in a group, maybe a WhatsApp group. And then that picture somehow is one of many pictures like that collected and put into a large folder. Which this week has been shared on. There's some, there's something I thought I didn't really, I wasn't really, you know, thankfully that I haven't seen the images or they weren't sent to me. But apparently it's some website called Discord or app. I don't know what it is. But basically these pictures of girls that they might have taken, you know, when they were 15. uh, Possibly naively, which is fine. We were all naive and did stupid things. That's not a a judgment. Um, And innocently, and sometimes under pressure. uh, Like... The type of thing where a young girl might feel like if I don't send this picture to this guy, he might break up with me and I can't handle this guy breaking up with me for whatever reasons. Um, and you look back on that as a girl, as a woman or whatever in a few years and you think, what? Because you've matured and you've grown and you're okay. But in that at that point in time, that's what you did. And as I said, we've all done stupid things. Um, it's that kind of picture, it's other just random pictures that lads have procured, whatever way, like, 
usually through coercion and putting pressure on girls. Um, and then other lads have sort of collected them and made a folder of them and then shared them for the benefit of some men to look at. And this is, as you can imagine, incredibly distressing, stressful, painful, um, horrible, I'd imagine, for anybody. Like, I can, and I have to, like, I only talk for myself, and I can remember things that I was embarrassed about when I was a teenager, things I did, like, really embarrassed about. Like innocuous things, like silly things that I shouldn't have been embarrassed about. And how bad I felt about it. And there's things that I did in my teenage years that I still think about and cringe. Sometimes cringe so badly that, you know, it's two o'clock in the morning and I'm in my 40s and I'm still cringing about it. And for these girls to have these pictures shared to with people they don't even know i mean it doesn't matter how they got the picture in the first place but they, like these pictures have become public property these are pictures of them some of them are under underage pictures that were taken when they were 14 or 15 maybe younger so i mean first of all if you're looking at that that's pedophilia um Second of all, if you're a man and you're looking at these pictures, you just really need to have a good long think for yourself. And whoever's sent them to you or whoever's made you wear them, you need to tell them, no, this isn't good enough. And uh, let them know that you strongly disagree with this kind of thing. I think, unfortunately, because it doesn't look like men are going to take, uh, take these matters into their own hands. Look, I'm not a prude. It's one thing watching something like pornography if it's consenting adults and both people are happy to be part of it and they're being paid and that's their job and that's their gig and it's free will and all that kind of stuff it's one thing to watch that and that's you know as far as i'm concerned that's a thing it's fine um but this is a whole this is not that like don't fool yourself into thinking that's that like this is more akin to you know, slowing down at a, this is not slowing down at a car crash, like this is not good and this is not consensual and this is not on any level acceptable. Um, I did say some, put something up on Twitter and I was like, look, if, if, if this has been shared on WhatsApp groups, just delete and make it known within the group that you're not into this or this is not good and this is bad. But it does it doesn't look like at the moment that men are going to take matters into their own hands. It looks like we, you know, there are enough men out there who will be part of this and not say it's wrong and not say I don't want any part of this. So hopefully, the lawmakers will uh, make it a thing that the sharing of this kind of image is illegal and that you can go to prison for it. And I think maybe then. Um, that would be a good way to to deal with it. It's probably the only way because at least then my, men might be fearful of their jobs or, you know, their wives finding out or their girlfriends or their boyfriend, whatever. Look, it's on... No, I'd, I'm probably preaching to the converted here, but um, 
it just needs to be said. Um, and I was talking to my daughter about it, and she was saying some of the pictures are from OnlyFans sites, and OnlyFans sites are these sets, sites that are set up by guys or girls or whatever, where they will share more intimate pictures of themselves, and you'll pay them money. Um, as far as I can see, that's a that's transactional. You, the deal is, you pay the money, you get to see certain pictures. Um, I don't think that. The money you pay is enough for you to take those pictures and then share them with your friends. It's like Sky Sports. Do you know what I mean? So there's there is that even on that level. Um. Even even just on that level, you know, if the pub has Sky Sports on and it's not paying for it, Sky Sports will come down on them like a ton of bricks. But yet, if a guy shares a picture from a private forum that he's has paid for and that's the agreement that's the written contract that's the gentleman's agreement and remember a gentleman's agreement is an agreement between a man and a woman or a woman and a woman that doesn't need to have a contract it's already a contract it's a verbal contract so all these things need to be dealt with this is the age we're living in we can't put our heads in the sand and we need to deal with it and, and I just feel like I hope that anybody who's I hope that any of the girls involved in this or that have had their images shared don't feel in any on any level that this is in any way their fault it's not it's, it's, you know they've done nothing wrong this is all on the men taking the photographs and sharing them and uh, it's, a, it's unfortunate on International Men's Day that we uh, a certain 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 group percentage, I don't know, of men uh, would behave like this and get involved in this kind of stuff. So that's where we're at. And uh, we just need to keep, as men, we need to keep calling these things out. We need to keep talking about it. We need to keep uh, vocalizing how we feel about it. Like anything, we need to vocalize how we feel about it. Don't be afraid to tell somebody, I don't agree with that. I think it's wrong. Look, everyone's, at the moment, it's not against the law. Everyone's allowed, entitled to do it. They're not breaking the law, but, you know, think about it. Think about what you're doing. Think about who that is. Someone's daughter, someone's sister, someone's mother, and, you know, hopefully that'll make you think differently about it. Um. So, yeah, those are my thoughts for today on International Men's Day. Um, I have a brilliant guest lined up for the Thursday night sometimes Friday morning podcast um, and I'll get to the description of my guest in a moment I'm just trying to see if I can I've got a, if my son has gone to play football he's training and uh, he uh, so he's up he's out in Kilcullen which is out the road so I'm just going to see if I can get this done without rushing it and collect him I probably won't I'll have to shout down and ask Suzanne to go and collect him. I don't think she'll mind. I um I hope not. Sorry, uh I just got distracted by Twitter there. I'm, uh, I just put up that tweet. Uh, I don't know where these images of young women are being shared. I presume it's WhatsApp. Best thing to do if you're sent these pictures is delete immediately and call out in the group. It may not be illegal, but it should be 
And a guy called Alex says, I've been reading these stories over the last few days and I'm honestly shocked and appalled what these poor girls have been through. Hopefully legislation is brought forward to prevent this happening in the future. Yeah, good man, Alex. You see, we as men, even on, on Twitter, it might seem... I know you get other people saying virtue signalling, blah, blah, blah. But if we talk about it and we call it out and as men we say we're, we're not... Even on Twitter, yeah. In person, perfect. Uh, you know, on podcasts, brilliant. On Twitter, anywhere. Just call it out. Say you're not, you're not down with this. Um. Anyway, yes. Yeah, so uh, I have to collect my son from training, and uh, that's my evening. Charlie's not with me, and he's usually sitting at my feet. But he's, I think my my daughter Anna must be up studying in her bedroom, so he's probably gone in there. He likes to hang out in there. He's probably more comfortable. She's very good at uh, keeping her room tidy. Um, and uh, Suzanne's downstairs watching telly. So that's every, that's you all caught up now. You know where my all my family are and what they're doing. Um, I just want to give you a bit of background, you know, just so you know. Uh, as always, I am available on Instagram. You can follow me on Instagram. I'm KeithWalsh.Walsh on Instagram. Follow me on Twitter. You'll find me. It's Keithy Walsh. So it's Keith Y Walsh. Keithy Walsh on Twitter. And um, I am, where else am I? I'm on TikTok as well, would you believe? Yeah, I, I do those silly dances sometimes. <laughs> I find, it, I like TikTok. I, I enjoy it. It's a good crack. It takes me out of my, takes me out of my head, you know. Um. So, uh, yeah, do, do get in touch. Do message me. And I did get a lot of messages from people from the last podcast as they... Uh, announcing themselves as OGs so they're the original listeners because I think from tomorrow I will be signing up with Acast so we'll be on the Acast network um, if you're listening to this in about a year this will mean nothing to you but it's good it's good for the podcast I'm really appreciative to everybody who's been listening so far and if you are an OG you can send me an email to keithwalsh.walsh at gmail.com or keithwalshpod at gmail.com either of those will get me uh, let me know you're an OG and when I say OG I mean an original listener you're one of the OGs you know so if you're an original listener and you're listening to this and it's still 2020 do get in touch and let me know that you're an OG and I'll make a list of all the OGs and then at some stage we'll do something special for the OGs um, is that, have I said the word OG enough? own goal Keith is that it? no original one of the originals so that's the crack um, yeah let's uh I'm going to crack into my crack on crack. There's a lot of cracking going on, isn't it? Crack on with my introduction to my guest. Um, I first came across this young man when I was doing the breakfast show. And as you'll hear him mention, we were invited to get involved in uh, get involved in a charity single, a charity Christmas single. It was Sheila Shoigan. One year she released a charity Christmas single and she got a bunch of people, friends, acquaintances, just, I suppose, other people who had a bit of a profile uh, to get involved. Uh, I think he was actually involved in singing on the single. Uh, I, I, actually, I may have been. But then we were both, uh, we were both involved in, Sheila performed it live on the Brendan O'Connor show, whatever that was called. Is that called Saturday Night Live? Or the Saturday Night Show. Uh, and we that's where we met. 
So we met on on the Brendan O'Connor show on a Saturday night singing, performing with Sheila Shaw again, her charity Christmas single, which we will, um, which we talk about in a little bit. But that's where I met him and uh, I just got chatting to him and I got to know him a little bit and his, his story is absolutely fascinating. Uh, like anybody I've spoken to on, on the podcast, but um, this in particular, let me give you a little bit of a, a brief. So he's a he's a playwright, he's a performer, um, stage screen. He uh, he is he's done it all. He's mostly a writer these days. I think it's fair to say. But I just had a look at his um, his agency. So he's with Center Stage Agency, and there's a so he has a page there with all his details. Uh, TVs and films, Ella Enchanted, Elf, uh, Dawn of the Dead, Zombie, uh, Zack Snyder. There's a lot of movies there that he's been involved in. Let me just see if I uh, if I recognise any anything in particular stands out. Um, well, obviously. Obviously, El Enchanted, Brain Hacker. He must be big, big into his zombie movies. Um, anyway, so lots of uh, lots of movies he's been involved in. On the stage, My Bed's at Window, uh, something he wrote, and that was um, he was in uh, Romeo and Juliet, in The Globe, The Tempest, in The Globe, As You Like It, in The Globe, Playboy of the Western World. He played. Christie and London Irish rep. Um, yeah, so he's plenty of experience, and he is also a writer, as I said. Um, and uh, that, yeah, I think that's enough. I don't think I need to say. Where is oh, he went to Clash Dulig. So I studied performing arts in in Chicor, and there's a similar course in in Clash Dulig performing arts theatre. Clash Dulig. So he went there 2004, 2006. Anyway. Um, at some stage 2004 I think he ended up in Boston where he was struck by lightning and yeah that's all I'm going to say his name is David Gilner uh, he's a sound chap lovely man and it was a pleasure to talk to him and David if you're listening thank you very much for agreeing to come on and all the best in the future with everything uh, I'll be back with a little chat after this this is episode 28 with playwright, performer, um, probably probably sings at a session, do you know what I mean, in the pub. As I said, David Gilner, uh, and this is the Keith Watch Podcast. <laughs> How's it going? Good, man, good to see you. Uh, good to see you too. I just want to, I'm just looking at your um, centre stage agency description here, just for anybody that doesn't know what you look like, just to give them a, just a sort of a, <laughs> an idea. Age twenty five to thirty five. Height five foot ten. Is that true, David? Five foot ten. Yeah, I'm actually five foot ten. Yeah. Just checking. I've been measured a few times in my career. I think. <laughs> I think I'm five foot ten as well, but I like to say five eleven. Oh, do you? And uh, you know, funny people sometimes because people don't get the height that sometimes people actually will measure you. <laughs> you know that kind of way. So yeah. You know for sure. Uh, uh, hair color brown slash fair. Build athletic. <laughs> and you've got blue eyes. You've got blue eyes. That's you, David. Um, how are things anyway? 
Yeah, good. I uh, can't complain, to be honest with you, um, because uh, the pubs are closed because we've got no distractions. You're, you, love, you love a pint, David. Would that be true? Yeah, I do love a pint, I have to say. Um, I'd be more of a social drinker. And uh, so I kind of had to, uh, I wouldn't really drink at home. Um, and people think, oh, you must be drinking all the time. Not at all. Like, I, I love the point to be around people, to be the crack hugger's show. And yeah, that was taken away from me. So I just had to kind of change my routine around, uh, power walking down the valley and coffee. <laughs> That's, uh, I think, power walking and drinking pints are in the same ballpark. I haven't uh, drank since, well, actually, I lie. I've mostly not drank since lockdown, since this year at all. Um, I had a brief experiment last weekend where I said, uh, I'm going to have a few drinks and see how it feels. Uh, and I didn't enjoy it. So I've, <laughs> I've come back to the not drinking again. But um, as a playwright, as a collaborator, as somebody who likes other people, who likes to, who likes the crack, who likes, as you said, you like the pub atmosphere, the crack, the, the session, all that kind of stuff. And people, you know, people are what give us energy. And especially someone like you, I believe. How are you, how are you coping with lockdown? Yeah, well, first of all, I did find it extremely tough and I had to kind of figure a way how I was going to survive. So routine, routine saved me. So I'm a creature of habit. So there was certain locations in Dublin that I'd go to, certain coffee shops, same people I would meet in my kind of creative ventures. So what I decided to do was um, I would get up first thing in the morning, I'd have a coffee, I'd walk the village, chat to a few people as I was walking back home, start writing, write for a couple of hours and then go back out. So my life has kind of been coffee, walking, writing, walking, coffee. And then I chat to people as I'm walking. And uh, that's what's kept me, that routine has kind of kept me sane, you know, in a way, because everything was taken away from me like so many others. And it motivated me because I'd lost, like all of us, we lost a lot of revenue. I was due to tour America uh, the day before this like I was kind of two years in the making and the day before like everything I've been working up to had just been taken away from me and it's like okay this is the opportunity to actually make a difference to kind of it gave me the driving force key to to finish all the scripts that I had to go through my work uh, I think my sometimes in your career you can have moments of clarity that you're just coming up with idea after idea. This may never happen again. Do you get me? But I've I've wrote I've wrote more projects and scripts in this period in my life uh, than I have done in the last couple of years during this this period in 2020. So I don't know what it is. I don't know if there's a, a click. Uh, I I know it's got to do with confidence, but it's the writing has saved me. So from not being around people, I've immersed myself into characters and creating and scripts. That's what saved me because I really did miss people hugely. Wow! And who are the people that you talk to then when you go out in your walks? Is it just whoever randomers? Do you just do you just <laughs> do you just harass <laughs> harass people you don't even know? Well, we have different routines. Like so, people go to the shops at different times. You get me? So obviously the local solicitor or or, or the, like uh, the, I know and uh, so like. People used to come to my shows locally. I know what time to do the shopping. So people may think I'm crazy. Oh, here comes the writer again. <laughs> like, like clockwork. But it's that kind of parish mentality, which I hated, but now I love, <laughs> you know, people with their routine. So, yeah, it's talking to people 
on similar cross paths to do their shopping or they get their coffee or they go down to the post office and our paths, you know, are the people who are, are power walking in, in, in groups. But yeah, that's, 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 as sad as that sounds, is my entertainment. But there's, there's, there's a certain beauty in the fact that we're really getting to know, obviously we can't move outside the five kilometers or, you know, and most of us are just walking. But I think there's a certain beauty in us taking the time because we have to, we've been forced to, but to get to know the people who live in our area and our neighbors. I mean, you, you, you seem to be good at that anyway, but I, I, I've gotten, yeah. I've gotten better at having chats with people in the shop, like just, you know, just uh, passing the time chats, you know, whereas I wouldn't have before as much, you know? Cause we would have been so focused in our own careers and lives. And there was, there was a story that I was chatting to this person for a period of time and you never know what's going on in someone's life and she she told me I don't even know her I just met her as, as our you know walking through the village she had a miscarriage and uh, she kind of just let it out and we chatted and I wanted to give her a hug but I couldn't hug her and um, because I was a stranger and she was a stranger to me and our paths were crossing that she felt that she could to, to, to share this this horrific experience that she went through and it was one of these moments where um, I wrote her a poem and I, I kind of handed it a poem one of the days and I didn't say anything. And uh, it was just, that would have never happened because you know, you're, I'm a hugger, as they would say, you know what I mean? I, I believe in the handshake if you're doing the deal before the contract comes in. I think your loyalty is everything to me in this industry and your handshake, that bond, and I'm a hugger. And, and I had this moment that someone had shared this terrific experience to me as you're sitting out by a park bench or near a park bench. And so I wrote this wrote a little poem and just it was a thing called hope and uh, that that was an experience that's something that but that stayed with me that oh because uh, you forget what's happening in the world whether you believe it or don't believe it I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole you know <laughs> there's a lot of people slowly losing their marbles at the moment but I get it because it's tough on everybody and especially this stretch key for me uh, I'm finding that I, I I'm finding this lockdown a lot harder than the last one. The last one was all new. I, I didn't try baking because I can't bake to save my life. But uh, this last stretch coming up to Christmas, because I love Christmas. I absolutely love it. I'm one of those people who just, who, I've got seven amazing nephews and nieces who kind of inspire me. Last night, I watched my first Christmas film, would you believe? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Santa Claus, the movie, the original. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, um, we're into, we, we've watched... We've only watched one Christmas film. I won't. I won't include Bridget Jones or uh, Notting Hill in those. But we've, we've, we're we're getting into the area of watching the Christmas films already in our house. It, interesting, you say that because certain films may not be about Christmas, but our class is Christmas films. That was the debate that was happening last night, which is a great debate. Die Hard, another classic. Oliver, uh, the list is endless. Yeah, I mean, of course, uh, The Wizard of Oz is in no way set up to be a Christmas movie, but it is a Christmas movie in Ireland because that's. It was the only movie that RT bought the rights to. <laughs> they showed it every James, James Bond. That's why people love Sean Connery and Roger Moore so much. Jesus, what was on the other night? Um, uh, GoldenEye or something. Or, uh, Jaw, I don't know what the hell. I don't even watch James Bond. But it's like, I was like, here, RT was stuck for something. Let's just lash on James Bond there. Uh, bit of Bond. You can't beat it. Um, but I do want to talk to you about your attitude towards life and to people. And I mean, it's not, it is unusual for somebody, even a writer to just meet somebody and so quickly get into a conversation with them where they discover something so intimate about them. And 
because of that, write them a poem and give it to them. That is an unusual thing to happen, I think, uh, because people are so guarded these days. But I, I, and I do want to talk to you about, you know, your makeup and your beliefs and how you, uh, you know, how you go about your business. But I think in order to get to that, we should go back to the lightning strike incident just to give people. Oh, yeah. A sort of a. I mean, I know people could look it up and they can read the articles and and you did the rounds at the time and and, and wrote about it and, and, and wrote a play about it. But so just take it. I mean, how, how long ago is it now, David? It's, uh, it's, 2004, would you believe? The summer of 2004, the good old days. Have you have you spoken about it recently? Or you, like, do you mind talking about uh, it? No, so look, I think no matter what I do in my life, so all the listeners right now, lightning will always be bigger than anything I ever do. And the reason for that is it's because it, it's about the afterlife. It's about uh, uh, the, the, the visual impact of someone being struck by lightning from everything you've seen in films and YouTube clips and videos or news articles, uh, I will go through the whole journey with you because now I'm at ease with it. Uh, I've become one with it and I love talking about it. But there was a period of my time where I never talked about it. I never pretended it happened. I shut the door until one day I talked about it. And that's that's how I can so easily, because I can deal with it now. No problem. I love talking about it. So you, so shortly after it happened, like I, I suppose I my timeline in my head, and this is just, I'm just letting you know, yeah, I would have thought it happened. You you went you were on a J one. This happened to you. You came back. You got a hospital. You got better. I've had a feeling that you sort of almost like straight away sort of wrote something and then started talking. You were going on chat shows. <laughs> uh, yeah, it would have been no four years before I went on chat shows. When I was in hospital, my parents were very. Uh, there was a lot of interest, media interest at the time, and my parents were like, that I turned down every. For me, as an actor, I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> Oprah? <laughs> Please, I'm a poor artist. No, yeah. I joke. Uh, so when I came back, uh, so, I ta- never talked about it for four years. We should start at the start, really, and then we can get into all that. Yeah. Uh, so you're on a J1. On a J1, write, write the passage like every Irish person before me, whether it be Australia, America. We chose America. We chose Boston, South Boston, of all places. <laughs> More Irish than Ireland, like itself. And uh, we had connections. So I was working on building sites. I absolutely loved it. I was good at carpentry. Um, we had this cool place on, I think it was P Street in South Boston. And I was like, everything you'd see in the film. So I was so excited to, to, to be free from home, free from your parents, living this American dream, renting our furniture. Because we got there, we had no furniture. And we didn't know you could rent furniture and uh, going through skips and getting furniture. And at the top of our, our building, we had like, a, wasn't wouldn't call it like a flat roof. And we could just see the view of Boston. And it was, see, that was our magic days and magic times. And it was July 4th weekend. And I was renovating the house like you would see in Mystic River. And it would have been the second. And I was putting up stud partitions on the top of uh, the, the fourth floor. And the builder was re- renovating each floor as in to sell as an apartment. And there was a, a, a balcony and we were throwing all the rubbish, as like bathtubs, tiles, everything just off the balcony. And next door, there was children playing in the pool. And this was near L Street Diner. And I could just hear the laughter and it was a beautiful sunny day. And if I got the work finished early, we got to finish work early. We got a bit of a bonus and we we're going to have a party in the boss's house on the Sunday. And I remember, it's so vivid. I remember... 
doing a great job's work getting a, a, a BLT from L Street Diner and one of those, you know, those American cold bottles of Coca-Cola, like the glass ones you see in movies. And I sat there on the toolbox on the balcony listening to, to, to rock radio. And uh, a ladder started to move. Uh, when I went back inside, the ladder started to move. And I was conscious that it would fall and hit the kids. And as I went to grab the ladder, uh, lightning struck. And this is where the expression, a ball from the blue comes from. It's when lightning strikes on a sunny day. It's actually the terminology, a ball from the blue, because it was a sunny day. And I just happened to, lightning always knows where it's going to strike. It's not random, you get me? So it always knows what point it's going to hit. And I just happened to walk into that point, hit my right hand. I flew back inside, uh, collapsed. The builders, a few doors down, heard the noise. They came to me. And the real story is uh, they brought me back to my room, uh, gave me a smoke, gave me a can of cider, because uh, I still hadn't moved. It was still talking, but I was still in shock. My body was still in shock. And then the, when the girls came back to the apartment, sure, my boots were, the bottom of my boots were melted. <laughs> they were like, we need to get this guy to hospital. And bearing in mind, I hadn't physically moved at all. They lifted me up. I was still physically talking. Uh, uh, they brought me to hospital. And I'm still conscious, still there. And it was an insurance thing. I did have insurance at the time before they brought me in. And I remember sitting with my best friend, Stephen. And I was just telling them, I love my parents. I love this, do this. Don't ring my parents just yet because they're in Ireland. Ring my godparents who live in Florida. Ring my auntie who lives in Canada. And then all of a sudden, boom, my life went out. I was gone. Uh, and then I woke up and I was getting like, I was in a neck brace and there was doctors and nurses around me and I'm hearing voices and people talking. And um, I don't know how long I'm going to be here left in this planet we call Earth. And uh, I started to listen to the noise and the light and the, 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 the like, silent drop of drips and the beep of heart, the, the heart monitor machine. And then boom, I was gone. I remember taking my last breath, I would call it. And then I was dead for three minutes and 42 seconds. That's like it's on your, your file. And then boom, boom uh, I took my first breath back to this world we call life. And I was back in the ICU ward in, in Boston, the intensive care unit. And um uh, when I woke up, I couldn't move from my neck down. And uh, I just thought, was it a numb feeling, what was happening? But then it was like, they told me that I might never walk again. So that was that was, that was was one thing to wake up to. You think it's a joke? You think it's, is this a real world? Is it a dream? And uh, then uh, sensation started to come back on the uh, left-hand side of my, my body my hands, but completely numb now on the right side. And then on the third day, Keith, this is, this is the one, I was fine throughout the whole experience, but it was on the third night that I had a breakdown because I felt the energy leave my body because I thought I was dying again. And I could feel it like a wave and I just started shouting and screaming. And there was this Irish nurse like you'd see in one of these horror films, a tough old Irish broad, I love her to bits. And she came in and she put her hands on my, my, my feet I couldn't, I, I could see it, but I couldn't feel it. But it was like ice cold. She goes, I'll just call the doctors in. And, and, and I was like, shit, now that's me, I'm done. I'm going. And I went, I, I literally went. 
Uh, and I remember fighting, Kate, fighting to stay alive, or praying to anybody who would listen to me. Like my my mother is very strong Catholic and still is. Where my auntie's a very well known uh, spiritual healer. So I had I'd I'd been brought up in both worlds. From a really strong Catholic background to uh, spirituality and meditation. So I was I was I was. I was showcased both worlds in spirituality terms. Um, but when it's you alone and there's darkness and there's light and you're, you're fighting, you're fighting. And it's like, if you're a gambler, you're betting your soul or your life to give you another chance. The only way I can describe it. Who are you talking to? Did I physically see myself in the hospital room? Yes, I did see that. That's one thing I did see. And I always like to talk about these things because, Whatever you believe in, whether whatever God you believe in, whatever religion you follow, spirituality, angels, or where if you don't believe in anything, you believe once you're done, you're done. I believe in energy and I had left my body and I did see myself in my body with all these people around me and I wasn't there. And then there was a moment of your time is not up. I don't know why, but uh, then I was back. I was back in that room. Uh, I just, uh, it's like, how would I describe it? Um, you know that feeling when you're down to the last two or you're getting a new contract and it's going to make a change for you and your family and you're going to breathe that bit easier that this money's coming through or this new uh, development pitch. And it's, it's not about your ego or the job. It's about safety for your family. And it's that life of, oh, I can breathe again. We're going to have a good few years. And it was that moment of, oh, I'm alive. <sighs> and that's when, from that moment onwards, then it was the, the process of a, a mental and physical journey uh, of, let's say, the scars that I went through in that short piece of time. Uh, and they wrote me off as well, which was, they were like, like, oh, you probably never walked again, sensitivity, what about not having kids, uh, vision. And there's a great moment, Keith, where, well, I'll never forget my mother, we were this specialist and he was just telling me all the negative things that were was going to happen to me in life. And my mother just grabbed my hand and she goes, can you feel me? And I, I couldn't actually. I said, no. And she goes, can you see me? And I said, yes. She goes, are you hungry? And I said, yes. And she goes, well, never worry on an empty stomach. And she just said to the specialist, goodbye. And we walked. We left the hospital. Never, never returned. And I was outside getting physio, like as in like an athlete would or someone who was in a car accident, you know, you do all these exercise, balancing exercises. But I'll never forget that moment because she could see this specialist was actually killing me mentally, that he was telling me all the things that could go wrong. And I think my mother could see that it was, it was killing me. This was, this actually more than the lightning strike was killing me. This man who had no sense of compassion uh, was telling me that my life as an 18 year old was was wrote off that was it like I was a disposable object thrown to the skipyard and that was something I'll never forget and there's a lovely moment where my mum loves my, my dad had a nightclub in, in Dublin in the singing Twixie 60s so they loved music they met in the disco and ABBA was the musical ABBA was was on in, in Boston and uh, she took me to it at the end of the week and she bumped into the head of neurology in the hospital. And I had two crutches. My face was tripping to the side. 
and he was shocked and he had to tell the people that this was the kid because it was in the papers and the press over there. This is the boy who was hit by lightning. And my mother was just there looking at him saying, this is the kid you destroyed. And bearing in mind, was I in agony? Yes, my mum just wanted to see Abba. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the Irish mommy mentality. You'd be grand. You'd be grand. <laughs> I bought tickets for Abba. I'm going whether you are not. <laughs> is he enjoying it? I don't know. Half his face is enjoying it. <laughs> Uh, I'm crying with laughter. That <laughs> so she was, she didn't want to miss out. She'd spent the money. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it wasn't cheap flying over to see you dying, son. I'm gonna get, <laughs> I'm gonna get my money's worth. Yeah. <laughs> well, while I'm in while I'm in Boston, we'll uh, check in with David. We'll get a musical. We'll go to my favorite <laughs> my favorite restaurant. <laughs> she had a list. You were only she had a li- you were only part of the list. Oh yeah, that's close. <laughs> so, I, I I presume you're in. You haven't really spoken about the pain, or like. Oh no, I, I would say, uh, have you ever been hit with a hurdle or in a rugby tackle, prone crunching tackle, or in boxing when you get knocked out or her? Uh, it was pain. The reason why my body collapsed wasn't due to this spirituality, love, and life. Go fly on my forehead. No, because the pain. Your body can only stand so much of pain threshold. My skin was literally burning from the inside out. That's the level of heat that passed through your body. So there's lesions on my body. And that's where I have sensitivity issues because that hasn't come back yet in certain parts of my body. Because the heat, you've got to understand the, the heat that is passing through your body at that particular time. And it just needs a place to escape. And that's why you break out in lesions. And that's why you see people who get hit by lightning they'd have these type of patterns of scars. That's because it's just trying to find an exit through your body, internally or externally. Wow. Holy moly. And what was your immediate... I mean, obviously, you were, you were, you were getting physio. You did, your mom was, had, good, had a good head in her shoulder, so she was going to keep you pointed in the right direction. Yeah. But practically... You're in Boston. You needed to get home, I presume. What about college? Yeah. Had you finished college? Where? What were you going back to? What was the? What, what happened then? So funny enough, I wasn't allowed. To, America was all about. I could have sued the builder I was working for. I could have sued. Like there was this whole idea that okay, I could sue the the builder who I was working with had insurance, and everyone was like sue, sue, sue. Even the hospitals, they have this mentality, and I was like, it was an accident. It was an act of God, and. Um, all my American family or friends were like, this is what we do over here. You know, that's why people say insurance. And I was like, no, I can't do that. And maybe I'm regretting it now, living the life of an artist. Uh, but um, I didn't, it just didn't feel right. It was an act of God or whatever you call it, an act of mother nature. And I went down to my, as a great character in life, my mother's best friend uh, married this guy called Eligio El Franco Brolio. Lee Brolio is my American godfather. And he worked in the restaurant business in New York. He was a pilot in World War II. And he, his love was um, horses. And he became a really good horse trainer. But he was a busboy in a restaurant. And he owned a restaurant. And he changed his passion in life from making food to training horses. And I went to stay with him during that period of time. Uh, and his stories about life and what he did. And that was a huge part of my recovery. Uh, because Lee passed away when he was 100 but the age difference didn't make a difference we just talk about 
uh, all the famous people that used to come into his restaurant, like Sinatra, Bobby Darren. Uh, and I'll tell you, I, I just because it's part of the recovery, it was this great story when at the time, I think MGM offered him a, a he was six foot six, you know, he's a great athlete as well, but he could sing and he could write music and he could tap. And he was offered like back in those days, studios would offer you like a three part, four part, five part film, dancing extra, you know, or 10 lines and under. And he went to his father and his father was like, no son of mine is going to be, you know, a dancer, blah, 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 hard Italian. And he was telling this story to Ginger Rogers and um, she slapped him. And she said, if you wanted to be an actor, if you wanted to be a dancer, you'd be a dancer. Don't blame your father. And she slapped him again in, in his restaurant. And he's six foot six Italian. And I was like, wow. Like, so he was telling me all these little stories that if you want something in life, you can't make excuse for it. You have to make it happen. So I spent my rehab. So my cousin at the time was on a golf scholarship. I don't know why I'm pretending to say <laughs> right now. For people, I'm actually swinging a club. So with, with, with injuries like that, I was doing exercises in his, in where he was doing his sports rehab. And when you get hit by lightning, your balance is in the balls of your feet and your hearing. And so I was walk. I had no sense of depth. I was walking around like Mr. Blobby. So it was about getting my balance right uh, and my focus right, my sense of depth right. Did all that in Florida. And then I think it was, came back in November. Uh, it was November, October. Um, and went in, back into college and I couldn't, couldn't handle people. I couldn't handle traffic. I couldn't handle... So I couldn't, I, I was still in studying theatre studies, but I had to study outside of college. I couldn't, I couldn't it, practically, I, I, I wasn't physically able to be in the room, physically able to be around people. And uh, Marie Tierney at the time, my set design teacher, she got me a job as an assistant stage manager in the Access Theatre in Ballymun. So she's like, okay, you can't be around people, but if he's, if he's backstage, cleaning the stage, getting stuff ready for the actors, uh, so basically, uh, she 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 could see the potential in me, but she knew I couldn't be around the studio, the college. So to be, I was taken from college, and uh, I was made an ASM. And mad story: there's a woman called Melanie Grace, who's an amazing actress, and she's Brendan Grace's daughter, and she was cast in the play, and her husband owned pubs in Boston, and I worked for her husband's friend Stewie. And she's like in the rehearsal room. She's like, "Wait a second, are you Lightning Boy?" And then the whole room was just like, and all the actors and the director Ace is like, "What's she talking about?" She goes, "You're him, you're you're him." And I was like, "Oh no!" So I was like in this rehearsal room going, "Shut up, dig a hole," because I said nothing about it. I said nothing. They knew nothing about what happened. So I didn't want to talk to anybody. And then Melanie lives in Boston. She's randomly me over doing a play in Ballymun. And all of a sudden, I'm lightning boy. And I was going, oh, no, I wanted the world to... I, I was using this job as escapism. Um, and it kind of brought it all up. And I didn't want to talk about it. Like that, I, I couldn't deal with it. Because I, I couldn't deal with what happened to me or, or why it happened or why am I still here? And, and you question life and, and goals and what you want in life. And you're only 18. Eh? You want to be getting drunk and having fun and doing stupid things, not thinking about, like religion and God and past and spirituality and you know the galaxy and you know it was really so it got very meaningful or maybe I always was a deep thinker I don't know you know you're trying to um you're trying to you're trying to remain just living as a teenager does just living on the surface just not really getting too deep into anything just enjoying your life which is a, a huge part of that period in your life is just fucking around yes yeah, making you know, mistakes 
make a mistake, not overthinking it, because if you overthink it, you'd never do anything. And did so you were working there. Did how long did it take you to and what was it? Did you like was there therapy involved? Um, no, actually, would you go on? uh, A specialist had said to me, um, there's an actress called Kira O'Callaghan, and she's uh, my sister's best friend. She got me into acting. She's incredible. Uh, she was like, she said to me about writing down your, like, you know, you're an actor, use your acting skills, you know, start writing. A specialist in LA was just like, use writing as a form of therapy. My, my auntie, the spiritual healer, was just like channeling light and energy into your body that if I focus on one toe, focus on one finger. So I, I, and then my mother, candles, prayers, um, you know, praying, power of pray. So if you find a common balance between all those things, uh, people send you flowers when you're dying. That's hilarious. Oh, look, a nice bouquet. I'm dying. Um, uh, sorry, I'm getting off topic now, but I'll Hold come on. back. You're fine. The idea was that uh, when people are sending you good intentions, where it's flowers or mascards or red lemonade or uh, chocolates, or lighting candles for you when there's a group or a collective of people sending you good intentions you know i think i try to find the commonality and that is good vibes good energy because the world is created with energy and that that gives that, that gives you a sense of, of strength and a sense of focus and a sense of determination so i channeled energy channeled uh, you know that 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 don't give up attitude because when you're fighting to survive uh, you really have to fight to stay alive and I had the energy to fight because I was a young lad and that's how I'm trying to interpret the language that I was fighting for my life and I was young so I had that energy to 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 push on through the darkness to to, to hold on wherever that, that's how I would describe it like I was a boxer going into the 11th round and I was tired and I needed a knockout and he was ahead of me on points and I got that knockout in the last 10 seconds of the 12th round. And that's, that's the terminology I was, I was using. So I focused that with writing and I channeled used to write down everything. I was like crazy, crazy lunatic, just writing on pages and notes and walls. And, and eventually all these pages with the background I had as an actor with, because this is another lesson in the industry. At the time I had a, there were things I was moving in the right direction. Certain cast directors were backing me. I had an agent in America. I was supposed to be moving to America. And then boom, my life was over. He's a has-been. He's, he's not going to walk again. No point in investing in him. So I, I, I did see another side of phone call, phone call, phone call, phone call. Because the year before, I got to work as an assistant on Down of the Dead, a Zack Snyder film. Met all the crew. I, they, I was I, incredible being on a Hollywood set for a couple of months in a Hollywood set in Toronto. But... So I was swimming in the right circles. I had people champion me as a young actor. And then boom, oh, that kid, he got hit by lightning. He ain't going to walk again. Phone calls stopped. And it was a great lesson to learn in the industry. Because when you're on the way up, everybody's nice to you and they want to be a part of you. But when something stops, and this happens in our industry all the time, but I learned it quite young. I was like, wait a second. These people were ringing me. They wanted to work with me. I was getting offers and this and that. And then that stopped. And that was a part of the, the process of, okay, I have to reevaluate who I am, what it is I want to do, where my focus is. And all these things came together in this 
bundle of words, which I wouldn't really call a play. I would call it when a group of players or like-minded people come together to put on a show that your friend wrote that's not really that good, but you know what, we're going to have fun. And I think that's how the lightning play evolved, which was, okay, I wrote this play and then the journalist like, oh, what's it about? Uh, four years ago, I was hit by lightning. Come again? And then, I see, I have all the records to prove it, you know, because you know, it's one of these things that like, you know, your certificate, your hospital certificate, you know, you have to, because you're like, wait a second, nobody's talked about this. And then they ring the hospital or it, you know, everybody in Boston knows my story. And uh, we just chose as a family that time not to talk about it. Um, and until I was mentally able to talk about it. And at the time still, I wasn't, I was writing stuff down as a form of therapy. People were seeing stuff on stage and then talking to me, I'm like, what are you talking about? That's just actors on stage. But what I didn't realize was that's how I was dealing with trauma i was putting it down on paper these monologues these inner thoughts uh people were i didn't see it as a performance or a show i just thought oh but it was actually writing down what i went through what i experienced and how i dealt with it which was through the pen and paper and that's been a huge uh you know part of my life now the power of the pen and paper and and writing things down and that's been yeah that's that's been constant i never used to write in my life until i was hit by lightning and after I hit by lightning, I write every day. Crap and different. I like I write like a doctor. I've got brutal handwriting, uh, but I write every day. That's one hundred percent. That's the one thing that has happened since the accident. Yeah. So the writing helped you deal with the trauma. Helped you work it out. Helped you helped you figure out how what you thought about what had happened. Helped you figure out what had happened. Uh, helped you figure out a way forward. It, it's very similar. But I didn't get hit by lightning. Uh, I, when the breakfast, I was working on the breakfast show on 2FM and it finished up after five years. And I found myself in a place where I had to go and get therapy. And the thing that the therapist said to me was, do you write? And this was like four or five sessions in. He said, do you write? And I was like, well, I'm not, I've written the odd thing. I'd written the odd article. I used to write sketches. I did a bit of writing in college. He said, start writing. He wanted me to write a journal every day. So three pages of, he said, I don't and care. I, he said, never read it back to yourself. I don't care about grammar. I don't care about diction. I don't even want to read it. I don't, you're never going to read it back. No one's ever going to read it. Just write three pages, fool's cap pages every day. Whatever's in your head, whatever's going on, whatever you notice, whatever, just, just write and write and write. So I started writing and I ended up with a play. Um, oh, that, no, that's because I wanted to talk about that. And I was going to ask you how did that came about. And now that I, because I'm always delighted when I saw you and, and, and your show, you put the show together and obviously with, you know, the, with the lockdown and stuff like that. But I love when I see that in people because it's, it's empowering. And it's, it's not, oh, look at Keith. Who does he think he is putting on a play? Trust me, you get a lot of that. Anybody can put on a play. You know what I mean? It can be a good play. It can be a bad play. But it's, it's not this elitism that, you know what I mean? Who does he think he is or she think he is? No, it's art, my friend so when I saw that in you I was so chuffed because it's an empowering feeling and obviously you're nervous about you but when you're there and it's you and you're delivering your work you're, it's controlled because we live in an industry where sometimes you have to hand out so much control but when you take that back and you start to realize wait a second my stuff is good enough and people want to see this and then it kind of gives you a sense of purpose and a sense of confidence and you go hey, hey. so when I saw that journey and that arc in you I'm one of those people who love that. I get it. I get a kick out of that. I'm just like, yes. 
So I didn't know, uh, thank you for sharing, I didn't know that's how you got to that point, but I can relate because that's how, and it's not, I say to people whether uh, you suffer a breakdown, you get hit by a car, you're taking a career break, lightning just sounds, wow, like, because it's, it's what you've seen in the movies from Charlie Chaplin up, but it can be any experience that you go through these phases of emotions and process and learning tools. So lightning will always be like that wow factor, but it's the same for anything who gets over a cancer scare or gets a fright from the specialist ring them up and got a lump somewhere. So like it's the same process of emotions, but how do you deal with that? What tools do you use? So that's, that's, that, that was them. And also, if you don't mind me asking one question, there's people in your life who will always be around. There's people who come in and do amazing things for you. You will have great mentors. But when you start to realize where, where, where things are going in the right direction for you, there's people who weren't there for you when they could have helped you out. Like a, a little bit, oh, here, I've got this gig for you, I've got this tip for you. But when all of a sudden some other people are championing that you haven't gone away, it's just like, oh, I remember Keith. And I, I've known a few people who've had those drive time shows and then all of a sudden when it goes quiet, they thought, the, you realize who people are and it's okay if you are that type of person it doesn't bother me we are in an industry but i find it interesting uh people's perceptions of you when you're at different stages of your career yeah it's very interesting um i think that i what i what i tend to do and this is part of what i've been learning to therapy if if something like it was interesting what you were talking about the energy. Okay. So the energy of people lighting candles for you, thinking about you, sending you good wishes, sending you a bottle of LucasAid, sending you thinking about you. Right. Because there are people who believe that the world and people we're all, it's one organism. Right. So we, the energy kind of moves and shifts. And, and, and I, I feel like for a lot of my life, I was blocking a lot of positive energy, not to get too wanky about it, not to turn anybody off, but I was getting in my own way. So I was blocking a lot of positive energy that might have been coming my way by saying, I don't fucking need anybody. I'm going to do this on my own. So, yeah. when, so when the shit hit the fan, if it ever hit the fan, any time in my life, if stuff happened, I was like, I'll fucking get through this. I'll, I'll fucking. But but in a way that was that would cut me off from maybe former colleagues, you know, I'd, I'd walk away from a job and I'd be like, I'll, OK, I'll show you. I'll do better than what I've just done. But almost like I. I was so determined that I didn't need anybody. I don't need anybody's sympathy. I don't need anybody's help. I don't need anybody's whatever. I don't need your bottles of Luke said. I don't need you tilting your head, you know, all this kind of stuff, which is, which is not a good thing to do. Like, but it's a, thanks for sharing that. Cause it's a great, there's a lot of people like you who used to have what you went through. And I can relate that because it's that dogged determination that this industry that we're in, and you have to sometimes have to be like that sometimes, but it's not good for your mental health. Because eventually it, it just goes, and um, look, the reason why I did this today with you is because I met you through uh, random because it came up with my timeline. Six years ago, we were in a recording studio doing the Christmas charity single, and that's uh, something I always wanted to do. I was actually in the Viva Stadium, and my mate Merv is one of these wheeler dealers. Mervyn has introduced me to loads of people like Brian Whitehead, Rory Cowan, Brendan O'Carroll. He's like, David. I was like, yeah, where are you? I'm in the Viva because I was still living in London. He's like, well, now the windmill, I've got something for you. <laughs> I thought, I didn't know what it was. It was a charity Christmas single. Fox ticked, always wanted to do it. But I met you and you were sound. And I thought, that guy's a sound guy and he's good at his job. That was my first impression of you. So, like, 
that was, would you believe, I think five or six years ago, uh, we be, they were in that windmill doing the Christmas tingle with all these random people. And I was like, why am I here? This is so random. And then we were on the Saturday night. <laughs> I, like, I love, I love how random this life can be. But what I was saying is when you, when we were chatting, I was like, your sound and, uh, you know, you, you, you uh, do a great job of what you do. You're like a fantastic uh DJ and host and that's why I was like but my first impression of you was like oh this guy is sound do you get me that's why I was like oh yeah let me gladly come on podcast be an honour but that's my first impression of you just letting you know that I was like oh this guy's sound this guy's sound thanks very much (laughs) and I and right back at you as well like I, I don't know I felt a connection and I remember trying to get you on the breakfast show to tell your story and I don't know what happened there but but I'd always when I started the podcast you're one of the names on the list that because I wanted to get your story and I know you've told your story. I know people have heard it, but just to get, just, I, I just wanted to kind of catch up and see where you're at. And I and the, the reason for me doing the podcast is to learn from people. And I feel like other people who listen to the podcast will also learn because there's a lesson. Everybody has a lesson or two or three in them, in their story. Oh, hundred percent. And look where I am now confident. I've got confidence in my own ability now as a writer. And that is, Oh, well, I tell you, when that happens for you, it's like Pandora's box, you know, and, and I think we can all be guilty of it. Maybe it's an Irish way. You meet an American. How are you doing? I'm fantastic. I'm amazing. Irish, how are you doing? Ah, for you. All right. Uh, you know, like, you know, it's just the way we are self-deprecating, you know, some of us anyway. Yeah. Like, and, and just to go back to the thing, the point that's, that's part of what you're saying the way Americans are they're positive they've got a positive energy they're positive about themselves and you know I, I have started to believe that there's an energy that we're all part of and being being one, one big organism you know not just humans I know I'm, people, I'm going to turn people off but animals and the, the earth and nature and all yeah. this kind of stuff you know and we're all connected and we, you know we, it'd be foolish to think we weren't but but I spent a lot of time kind of blocking people out and like one of my things was like as soon you know I, if I was doing a job or something I was like as soon as this job is over we'll never talk again you know <laughs> yeah it's like I hate that you do I do these talks lately I'm like look when you do a play with someone or a gig they're not going to be your best friend they're your best friends for the day they could be you could actually become drinking buddies or but it's just like oh it's amazing life's amazing call me yeah call me if you're going to pay me good luck like this idea that like hey shut yeah. up it's a little it's a little bit like that and i would always joke like look when this is over you'll never see me again you know but but I suppose what I'm learning is that, and and I and I suppose I would have done that in a jokey way, but also that would have been a way of me protecting myself because we probably wouldn't have talked spoken again. And I'd be like, well, I made the decision, so I didn't want to talk to you anyway. So it's kind of almost childish, but also it's a way of protecting yourself. And then I would go back into myself, and then I would be like, I'm on my own. I'm doing this. If I'm doing this, I'm doing it myself. And and so what I'm trying to get to is a point where I have the drive to do something, but also the humility and the openness to accept other people's positive energies towards me. Do you, do you get what I'm saying? Which is yeah. something that I think maybe you tapped into well, at some you, stage. I, not, many people, not many people know this, but uh, you've had her on your show loads of times. Um, Alison Keating, um, the BOL Clinic. She's my cousin. Okay. So um, she has the, she's like, and so uh, Alison is my cousin. She runs the BOL Clinic and she's the go-to uh, positive psychologist on, 
um, pretty much like the breakfast show to a fan. Um, and then my auntie, who is, you know, spiritual healer, and she believes in all those realms. And my mother, who is a staunch Catholic in the prayer groups, and, and each each person gives me something in terms of spirituality and mindset you can take from 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 everything. It's like Alison had a book out, I forget what it's called, but it's like a, a tool guide to, you know, different tools. She's, 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 Alison's amazing and another hard worker, but um, yeah, so like the mind is a fascinating, the mind is a fascinating uh, world. And sometimes we don't even understand, you know, how we, what we do to protect ourselves, as you say, you block off people or energy. And, and then when you get to find out who you are, maybe it's age, you become confident and comfortable who you are as a human being, or you take ownership. And I, right now, I'm very happy who I am as an individual and where I'm going and what I'm doing and why I am doing it, you know, that kind of way. And um, yeah. So I, I can see a shift in the last couple of years between me personally, you know. Yeah, and, and I think it's about, for me, just 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 to come back to me for a minute here. Uh, <laughs> excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> uh, you know, it's, it's um, I'm, st- you know, I'm mid, mid-40s now and I'm still, I'm only starting to put things together Uh Sorry, and, I meant to beat there. You don't look over 40. Don't look a day over 40. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> that, was, that was all I wanted to say. Yeah, yeah sorry. I just, sorry to get, I just needed to get that out of you. But um, yeah, look, it's fascinating. And, and uh, I think like part of doing this is to talk to people about what's driving them and what's, what keeps them going. And I think especially now we all need those lessons. And, and also... I think what I talk a lot about is vulnerability. Um, and for you, I mean, obviously, you see, this is the thing about being hit by lightning, right? It's very easy to be vulnerable about something like that, if you, if you'll excuse me saying that, because if you tell a bloke, I fucking suffered, I nearly died, I was hit by lightning, he's like, oh, fuck, yeah, hit yeah. by lightning, yeah, fucking, yeah, shit, wow, wow, man, you deserve to cry. You deserve to be in the shit for as long as you, you. I'm surprised you ever got up again. Fuck yeah, give me a hug. You know, that's if you if you if if we as men try and talk to other men about our struggles and it's not lightning. We weren't hit by we just we're, our yeah, brain our, our 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 brain is broken. And we can't fucking figure out our emotions. That's a much more fucking difficult conversation to have, you know. I had I had a friend who who um, runs a very successful business and was trying to get into uh, St. Pat's there. He he needed it. He knew where he. he sometimes in life, I call it in the black dot. You know when these things are coming down. You know your patterns. You know your moods. And when you get to a stage, if anyone's listening who doesn't know uh, when these things are coming at you. And you get to deal with it. You get to know what's coming. And so a friend of mine, he went to Pat's and he went for a couple of weeks and he messaged me and he's just like, oh, you know, I was in St. I was in, I was in a place, let's say. And, he, and uh, I was like, dude, if I broke my finger, my elbow, my shoulder, like he, it was just like, I was just like, you are so successful at what you do. Uh, and he's like, oh, that's not everything. Blah, blah, blah. You know, who cares? Uh, you know, he's just kind of just, they're like bounce and bounce and bounce and bounce and bounce and I was like so are you telling me that if I wanted to get shoulder on my surgery or a knee replacement or a hip replacement that I wouldn't tell people no I said that's why I brought it up he he feels so much better to be able to tackle from December onwards 
and um, you know he employed so many people and I was just like there was still this stigma of you know what I mean I'll talk to me fella who's the artist you get me he'll get all that crap <laughs> but like, was like that's, the, that's how he saw me I could talk to David because he does all that arty Hip, stuff that hippy dippy shit yeah that hippy light a candle Jesus um, but I, I, I just my mantra is dude it's if you talk about it, more people will talk about it. You know, kind of like, you don't have to be winning 12 months of the year. We all dip. It's highs and lows of life. And you, you gain something from that, you know. Um, I'm gaining it because I'm going to probably write about it in the play one day. And you're going to say, that's me. But you won't say that's you. So it's a win-win situation, my friend, compadre. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like that, he did have a, he was, he was, he wanted to tell me, I was angry that he didn't, he was lying to me while he was in there. I was, I was angry that, you know, like kind of way, he didn't tell me before then, but, that that was his way of coping with it. So we got to that conversation. And so Zanny was out there. Don't be a, it. People, are, he is frightened that, uh, you know, owning a company, that would people see that as a weakness. Say, no, that's a weakness. I, people see that as a strength. Yeah, you know what I mean? That, hey, I might need to go away for three weeks, but look at me now. Uh, who's not paying me? Chasing those invoices, baby. But the idea was, uh, he was worried that would people see that as a weakness in his company or in, in the business that he does. And I was like, no, not at all, my friend. It's it's, it's a badge of honor. You know what I mean? Uh, you, 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 scars of pride, I like to call them. Do you get me? Yeah. So, and, yeah. And I think it's it, it's it, it's great that you're saying that because I think it's very important uh, that we let men, other men, know that being vulnerable and admitting your weaknesses is actually, and this it will sound to certain people like wank, but that's that's the strength. That's the strength being Ew. able to say that, hiding it. And being afraid of your emotions or being afraid of your mental health or being afraid to tell people about it, that'll be your weakness. That'll be your that'll bring you down. The strength is in telling somebody and sharing it. And maybe you might share it. Maybe you don't have a friend like like a David, like a creative person, like a you know, someone who's into the hippy dippy shit that you feel like you can share it with, but share it with somebody and keep sharing until you you'll find the person that will listen to you and also you you'd you'd be surprised and I'm not talking to you now Dave I'm talking to the listener but you'd be surprised when you do share it with somebody you might be surprised at their reaction sometimes you might share it with someone who's not ready to hear about it but but the strength is in is in being vulnerable and saying I'm struggling oh. here and you will you will not only recover once you get to that point but you will go on to become a stronger person because of it and I'll give you a, a great piece of advice. There's a, a guy called Aiden Harney, uh, Dr. Aiden Harney, should I say. Uh, he trains the next leaders in companies around the world. And Aiden was a fantastic playwright back in the day. And obviously still is an amazing playwright. But uh, he is like coaching the next world leaders in different companies. And uh, Aiden cast me in a play many, many years ago um, with Trisha, no, what was her name again? Neve Shaw, Dr. Neve Shaw, another word. So it was funny enough, the, the, the world that we were in. But well, as I started to go through my own therapy and, and put my play together, Aiden was very supportive. When the play was staged, Aiden came, very supportive, told me what he liked and told me what he didn't like. Now, looking back, uh, this is two things. I've made more money off my first play than that's got to do with film rights and royalties and stuff like that, than any out of my other plays who've been critically acclaimed, translated in 10 languages, and you know, all the five-star reviews. But my worst play, my shittest play, the play that I wouldn't even put on, the play that I even want to put in the booklet, I would call it a, a, a Jockey's Bollocks play. That's, I wrote it until I couldn't write it anymore. 
I'm so it's so bad. But Aiden said to me, "If I told you how bad that was, would you continue to have continued to write?" I told you what I liked and what I didn't like, and I was honest in my approach, what I loved and what I didn't love. So I was like, you know what? I'll take that philosophy. I always take a piece of advice from mentors of mine. I'll take that piece of advice and anyone, any play I see, I'll tell them what I like and what I don't like. There's certain people in life and this will lead to something else. He who shall not be named. And there was a period in my life when I was invited uh, to a festival as a young playwright and an artistic director. I'll never forget it. It stays with me for the rest of my life. I think you had like five minutes with each person to pitch your ideas or plays and I was invited into this still young still not knowing what I was doing and he just threw the script at me and said this you know this is not worth the paper it's printed on and I just sat there we sat in silence for five minutes and I just thought you absolute cockroach and I said nothing and then the next person I met was Ray Yates uh, who is now the artistic director of Dublin City Council Artistic director of the Access Theatre in Ballymun, who I met previously, Bree Dukes, Donald Shields. I met all these people uh, who championed me and gave me a platform and a home. But this one person tried to crush my dreams and crush my ambitions. If I hadn't had met the other people in the room, he literally just went, you're nothing to me. He could have said, I don't like it. You know what I mean? You've got a lot to learn. He just said, no, I'm going to. And I went, that was a lesson. That play transferred to London, travelled all over the world and I've sold to, I've made more money off that play than probably any other play I'll ever do because I got a really good deal at the time. So what I'm trying to say to you is my, something that I'm not proud, I'm proud of everybody who worked on the play and its various variations and I'm so proud of what I achieved. But as a play itself, I wouldn't want to stage it again. Does that make sense? Because I can see uh, where I went wrong. Oh my God, what I was thinking from the scenes I wrote. But if I had listened to that prick, excuse the language, I probably would have ne never picked up the pen and paper again. And I was like, you'll meet people in your life who are like that, are just bullies. And there was no, I love criticism. And to give you another example, uh, I've only ever sent one play to the Abbey, which was that play. And they wrote me a fantastic critique and review, what I went wrong, what I went right. And it was amazing because I was still learning, learning a lot. And you're going to love this. When the play went to London, the Guardian gave it five stars, right? And I didn't even know what that meant at the time. I was still partying and I was just, this was, you know, some people panned it and some, but the Guardian gave us five stars. So the Abbey got in contact and they're like, you know, congratulations, this is fantastic. Or it was kind of like chain of command. We'd like to review this play. And I was like, you've reviewed it. No, we haven't reviewed this play because obviously the department was big. So I sent the same play over, but just changed the name. So I've got two different critiques from the Abbey and it, I just want to people to know about perspective London said the Guardian said this is worth five stars Time magazine said it was worth two stars but when the Guardian had given me that backing because whatever frame of mind the the, the reviewer was in they just got it and the, the mood and the atmosphere and uh, the one reviewer came in and said, everybody laughed at David Gilner's debut play from start to finish, except me. And I took that quote and I just left out, except me. Because <laughs> language <laughs> is so important. So like the idea is, uh, no matter what you create, produce from theatre, television and film, another great director, Colonel Carney said to me, 
we have to believe that this is the best it can be. And if people like it and people don't like that, embrace that. And it's one thing I don't like with artists that embrace negativity or criticism. Embrace it. Ray Yates said to me, I'd rather have someone love or hate your show than uh, it's okay. And that's, that's the world that you live in. Some people love it, some people hate it. But don't be like, I can't believe that person hated my play. Or Emer O'Kelly said X, Y, and Z. If Emer O'Kelly said she loved your play and you as a playwright, you'd be jumping for joy. So there, there's little things that I get angry about in the industry. But the, the reason why I was telling this story was somebody who tried to break my confidence and break me as an individual and who still works in this industry, if I had listened to that cockroach, I wouldn't be where I am and the people who I've met if I listened to somebody who just wanted to crush someone's dreams. There was no critique to it. And what Aiden taught me was, anytime you read something, David, tell them the good and tell them the bad. And that's how I do it. Because you'll meet people who will just tell you all the bad. And how do you grow as an artist with that? You don't. It's pointless. Well, I'll definitely, I'll definitely send you an invite to my play when I do it. Because I, <laughs> I know, I know it, it, you at least send, send, tell me some. You'd have to make up some good things at least. Uh, just no, just yeah, so it's yeah. not all bad. Um, no, if, 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 if I ever say to you... Um, <laughs> The, the lights were fantastic. Yeah, oh, yeah great, yeah. great, great stage. Great, great stage. Yeah, great, yeah. Great I love the back. I love the backdrop. And you walked it with so much energy. <laughs> the chairs were so comfortable. <laughs> no, it'd be an honor. It'd be an honor. It'd be an honor, my friend. The person at the front desk was so polite. Um. Uh, listen what so before because you've given me loads of your time, I'm very grateful. What are you up to now? There's you've just launched something. Um. Tell me about it. Yeah, so uh, it's quite. I'm quite excited about this new chapter. So I, I was shifting my ability from theatre to film, and I was oh, cinema to me is my real escapism. When I go to see a play, I can't shut off. When I go to cinema, it was it was escapism, and I kind of always wanted to write for film and direct for film. I sold ideas, so I made this little short film. Jim Sheridan said, if you can make a film for one minute, if you can make a film for one minute and grow from there and tell a story. So I, I'm, I'm involved with the circus as I do. My life is very random. And we wrote this, this short film for circus and really proud of it. Didn't know what I was doing. Film picked up a few awards and we got an award in Los Angeles there last week. That then kind of uh, changed people's perception of, okay, he's not just a player, he's getting into film. I had already shot a film called One for the Ditch, which is about loneliness, loneliness would you believe? It's about the importance of conversation or, or people in your life. And uh, I got the incredible Jane Brennan um, from, from Brooklyn, Tony Cash. And, and we shot it in my local village. And that's doing the film festival circuit in 2021. But on the back of that was screenplays. I've been writing constantly. And I'm really in an exciting place to because I've got confidence in my ability. So for anybody out there listening, once you've got confidence in your ability... And my agent said to me many, many moons ago, David, you can write a play or a script now, but you will eventually write a shit play and a shit script. It will be planned, but you can write it. You can develop it. So next year for me, I'm touring America with a, a show called The Balls from the Blue. And it's just, I would call it like Brendan Bean walking on stage with a drink. And it's me, it's like a comedy special. It's me bearing my soul the way I've wanted to do it. I was due to tour America from March onwards and it was been two years in, in waiting. And now next year I get to go, fingers crossed, uh, from March 8 onwards and we're closing the St. Patrick's Day festivities in the 
Boston Cultural Centre, a ball from the blue. But it, this is, it's my story. It's my tale. Um, it'll be a lot smaller, the tour, but it's my, it's my way now into America and Canada. But telling the story that I've always wanted to tell rather than uh, being involved in something that wasn't, I wasn't fully committed. This is me. It's all me. And I'm really excited about um, the story I get to tell and to tour America and Canada and be that vagabond on the road. But I'm excited. Uh, but I believe and confidence is so important. And I can't, I never had confidence in the writer. And I do. And the funny thing is, if people are interested in your idea, fantastic. Some people won't be interested in your idea. doesn't take away from my confidence because I know the right script will get the right producer. To, to, I want anyone to listen right now start to believe in yourself even if it's good or bad because you will write that humdinger of a script that would be in Broadway or London or in your local parish or a show or idea or concept or book confidence is key and just start to believe in your own individuality and trust me you know um, great things will happen and loyalty my goddamn loyalty and time, because all you can give people is time. And if people take the piss out of your time, and here you are as a person, have nothing to do with them, because you don't want that energy around you in this industry. So, so fair to say you're keeping busy anyway. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Neck on me like a jockey's ballot. <laughs> it's great. It's great. It was great to chat to you. I'll definitely send you an invite if you're in the country to come and see the play. We're tour. We've got I've got 20 dates next year, which is exciting. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's 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 totally out of my comfort zone. But I'm working with Janet Morin, who's uh, yeah been present. a brilliant brilliant director for me, and she's really. I think I had in my head that I might come out and and you know give a sort of a, a you know a chat to the audience with my story you know but she she has me performing it which is outside my comfort zone she pushes me all the time and it's very uncomfortable it's an uncomfortable place for me to be i find it excruciatingly uncomfortable every day i'm rehearsing but but she, i know i trust her you know oh and um, it's that it's that it's that relationship but when you're on tour and when you're next year your first show and you hear that first laugh or that first I love is when an audience take in a breath at the same time and you'll start to see this space, this analog space, this beautiful platform of you being great. There's, there's, there's no, there's no better feeling. There is no better feeling in the world, to be honest, it's no matter what you do. It's just that humans in a room just having the crack of his kill. Some nights you will die. Some nights you'll be high, but not one show will be the same. And that's the beauty because what anybody who goes to see your show next year, it's not going to be the same. So every punter is going to get something different. And that's the beauty in it. Yeah, I think everybody should buy tickets to all of them. I think you should go to all 20 of them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, I should charge you my publicist fee uh, at a good rate. <laughs> at the lockdown rate, as we say. No, because I'm passionate about the arts. I love it. I love anybody great getting out in the road. I love I it. Think, I think ultimately we got to where how a man can end up having a conversation with somebody they've just met about something so so personal and then write a poem for them. I think we, we really got to know you, David, and I really appreciate your time and best of luck with America and the show and the screen plays and everything. I'm sure I'm sure we'll, uh, we'll see a lot more of you. And uh, it was oh, great, to, fingers, great to... Fingers crossed, buddy. Jay, fingers crossed. Great to have met you back then on singing that charity single. <laughs> 
Hey, that's on the CV when I go to America. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, man, yeah, good... Back in the day when yeah, I was yeah. Christmas charity single. Charity single. <laughs> I was famous on this Christmas charity single circuit. Uh, um, Listen, man, thanks a million. And uh, this is actually, this is probably going up tonight. So, uh, so I'll send you a message and uh, I appreciate you it. into my DMs. <laughs> As, easy, as always cheers Dave <laughs> cheers buddy bye, Look, bye, 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 bye bye insert advertisement here sorry that was uh, David Gillner thank you very much David uh, really brilliant just uh, so inspirational I meant at the start in the introduction sort of explain that the the, um, the line wasn't great but actually listening back it wasn't too bad it kind of felt a bit phone liney but it was actually okay uh, I think you kind of just get used to it so I wasn't going to I decided not to apologise for it. Um, but yeah, that's brilliant. Just such inspirational stuff. And I just love the, even the story of his man bringing him to see. <laughs> bringing him to a show. Like, just, why not? Do you know what I mean? Why not go to a show a few days after you've been hit by lightning? Um, but yeah, just brilliant. Just the, 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 all the different influences on him as he talked about the different people the religion the spirituality the, all that kind of stuff and uh, his godfather was his godfather who uh, who was six foot something and could have been an actor and got slapped in the face by Ginger Rogers what a great story what a great man no wonder he's a good playwright um, yeah so keep an eye out for David Gilna and uh, he's, he's going to be touring in America so we can't we can't go there, but um, he'll be back. You can follow him on social media. He's on Twitter. He's on Instagram. Um, give him a follow and see what he's up to and support him if you can. All our artists and writers and performers need support, especially this time. Um, now, he does sound like he's coping okay with the whole situation, but uh, he's very positive. I suppose maybe after having been struck by lightning. I, I, but even as I say that, like that could go... That could go either way or many ways. That could really, uh, that could really end you, couldn't it? You know, God. Anyway, it didn't. He lives to tell the tale, and he and he tells it well. Um, and he will be touring America with his show. I think he said it was called Blue Lightning. Um. Oh, sorry, bolt from the blue. Blue lightning, that's different. That's like a drink. He'll be drinking blue lightning and performing a bolt from a blue. And I presume that'll be something that he'll do in Ireland as well. But uh, all the best. All the best in America next year. Uh, thank you once again to David Gilner for uh, being on the podcast. Episode 28. Can you believe it, lads? Can you believe it? Uh, I gotta go. I might chance trying to collect my son from football and that'll be that I'll come back and upload this and get it out to you uh, I have to say thanks very much to Joe Donnelly my former colleague and friend uh, who asked me to be involved in a Christmas ad my wife is talking in the room next door can you hear that Or is that someone shouting in the street? I don't know. There's a lot going on. Uh, thanks very much to Joe Donnelly who asked me to be involved in 
the Christmas ad for Rascals, where he is uh, marketing manager. Um, and yeah, it was great, great ad. He wrote it. He basically put it together, directed it. Uh, it was his vision. It was his creation. And uh, he asked me to play one of the parts, part of Delivery Guy, which was great. And uh, was delighted to do it. And I got to work with um, some really good people on the day. Um, everybody involved was great, including Emma Doran, who I will be talking to. I'll be talking to her tomorrow. I don't know when it will go up as a podcast, possibly the following Monday. Uh, but Emma Doran is someone you might want to check out in the meantime as well. Um, and a fellow called Kieran, who is a musician and an actor. And if you watch the, the Rascals Christmas ad, I should say from 2020, in case you're listening to this this next year, uh, Kieran is the guy who plays the dad, and he's been in lots of things like Love, Hate, Vikings. Very accomplished actor. And uh, and the son is played by Ryan. Uh, Ryan, I should know a surname off the top of my head, but I don't. I don't want to give him his dues. Uh, let me just see. Ryan Carrick, who's very funny, and you should follow Ryan. Ryan underscore Carrick on Instagram. If you want to follow him, he does uh, funny sketches and comedy bits on the Instagrams and the social media and TikTok, and uh, he's very funny and he's a great face. His face makes the ad. And everyone else's performance as well. So that's the Rascals Christmas ad 2020, just in case you're listening to this next year. Uh, And thanks, Joe, for asking me to be involved. Anyway, that's it for me. As always, you can email me about anything, anything at all. I want to hear, I'm nosy, literally just a nosy person. And I want to, I want to know, are you an OG? Are you listening to this in in 2020? Uh, Are you one of the original listeners? Do get in touch. Let me know. Send me an email to keithwalsh.walsh at gmail.com or keithwalshpod at gmail.com and uh, I might get back to you. If you're an OG, I'll put you on a special list of original listeners. Thank you very much. Uh, I better go. I'm actually just going to sign off now because I'm a little bit late going to collect my son. I'll be going mad. Talk to you. Mind yourself. Good luck. I love you. In a podcast way. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm, HelloFresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.